Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 35, A Walk in the Clouds from 1995. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. Back with us today, Jordan Paul and Clark is back. Hello, Jordan. Hi, you guys. This movie is a romance, pretty much a hard drama romance movie set in World War II. And we saw so many Cage movies set in World War II. But I looked, I went back and this is the first time Keanu's been in World War II, right? Yep, absolutely. Uh, right off the bat. Did he ever go to World War II as Bill and Ted or no? I don't think so. No, I pretty much think they, yeah, they didn't hit that era. No, they went further back than that. So this is a movie set in World War II, and he falls in love with a Mexican woman in the middle of somewhere, California, near Sacramento. Napa Valley. Napa Valley, you know, where the grapes are, and their grape vineyard is called The Clouds, and it's this beautiful landscape. And I honestly don't know what to think of this movie. I looked on Wikipedia in terms of the reception, like how people thought, and like Roger Ebert gave this a four out of four stars, but then like other prominent critics were just like it's laughably bad it's a movie that i watched last night and this morning like half and half and this morning i was way more into it than i was last night so i sort of went back and rewatched the beginning and i liked it more i'm just not sure what to think of it because i loved rom-com cage this isn't rom-com keanu this is just romance keanu and this is like it's a more serious heavy kind of depressing in ways movie So I have a lot of thoughts about what you just said, because I also, the first thing I did before I watched it was go to Wikipedia and see what other people thought of this, because like I picked this movie just because I wanted to do a movie, not because I particularly wanted to see this or had ever seen it before. Um, Had you heard of it before? Because I don't think I'd heard of it. I guess I maybe kind of remember when it was out seeing a trailer or something, because I was really small, but it's not something I would have seen. So I also went in knowing like how mixed the reviews had been and had very similar feelings. Like there were some parts of this movie that felt so developed and so deep and so true to who these characters were. Uh, and that happened like maybe three times and we can get into specifics of that later. But then the rest of it was kind of empty like really predictable and there wasn't really very much conflict and like from the very beginning it was pretty clear how it was going to end which I thought at the beginning would make it kind of boring and it wasn't really boring but yeah I felt pretty mixed about it yeah I'd never heard of this movie before starting Keanu Club either but I actually enjoyed this I was not expecting to get into it as much as I did and I think I was telling Joey yesterday like oh man like I'm going to save this one because I just think I'm going to be laughing through it. It just looked bad to me. But to be quite honest, something about it just grabbed me from the start. Maybe the optimism about it or just the era or seeing Keanu in uniform or whatever it was. I don't know exactly. We'll get into more about it. But I I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed Keanu in the romantic lead. I just think the problem is it's not a romantic comedy. I think he would be better in those and it's a period piece, and I don't think he's especially good in period pieces. So if this was more of a modern-day romantic comedy, I think it would be a lot better. But I was actually surprised how much I bought Keanu as this romantic lead guy here. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Catherine Corelli's Mandolin, right? Or yes, no? yes. Okay. No, it did, yeah. I got those vibes as well. Minus the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is based on a 1942 movie, I think? an Italian film called Four Steps in the Clouds. And so I wonder if this was 
sort of fell into the problems that we've seen a lot of other adaptations have and that they're 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 reluctant to stray from the original because i think like jordan said like it becomes predictable like keanu comes back from war and he goes to his wife who he hasn't seen since their wedding day and it just seems like they're sort of not a great fit and i feel like it should have been that they were like deeply in love and he went off to war and like he knows that it's a sure thing he's going back to and then he goes back and finds that she's been cheating on him it just felt to me and i'm not sure if it was supposed to feel this way like they didn't really know each other and the fact that she like didn't read his letters and everything it just it was set, like from the beginning like when i started re i started actually rewatching the beginning this morning you know after i finished the movie just to sort of see how they set things back up and I feel like if you watch it knowing what happens, you can just tell that like things are off in the beginning because like she wants him to sell chocolates, he doesn't want to sell chocolates. She she just wants to be like a fancy lady, like she's taking those diction courses or whatever with, on the record. And it's just I feel like there's such a bad fit that you you know in your heart that they're never gonna work out. So when he goes back and finds out that they're actually not working out, then it's just sort of like of course he's gonna fall in love with this Mexican girl. I kind of like that it was set up that way because it was at least different than what you said which is what would usually happen in a movie you know guy goes away comes back wife is cheating on him this was like oh they both just made this mistake (laughs) and made it so that he i don't know it kind of detached him from her right away which made it more fun to watch him fall in love with the other girl you know like i wasn't upset that he left deborah messing at home it made him really truly the good guy the whole time which is really what we want him to be yeah, I think you guys are both right. This movie, I think it just, at that scene, is just trying to set up the type of guy he is, right? Like, he's a real stand-up guy. Like, he's willing to just try and make this work, even if he doesn't know if it's going to work. I mean, she didn't read any of his letters, and he wrote her, like, an entire, you know, trunk full. He barely got one or two back from her, but still, he's going to try and make it work. And that's kind of just proving the type of guy he's going to be for the rest of the movie, where he's just a really stand-up person and real chivalrous and just really nice and stuff. So... I thought that was interesting, and, you know, I think another thing is the, Joey, you mentioned this is a remake of a film from, like, the 40s or something. I mean, yeah. it, it feels like a movie from the 50s or 40s or something, like, just the style of acting. A lot of the shots, you know, especially when we get to Napa, they look very, like, set, like, not real, you know, like, maybe they're matte paintings or some kind of effects-driven photography going on there, but I almost got the sense that they were trying to harken back to that type of filmmaking that you might see where sure you know it's like kind of a um easy and predictable story but there aren't you know many movies that really go all out to be like a happy story like it's almost a fairy tale i started to feel like throughout the movie like of course like nothing ever works out this well but it's going to for these two kids at the end I agree with you, and the music too. The style of music wasn't out of that time period, really, but the way that it was placed in the movie, it was like wall-to-wall, very over-the-top, I'm-gonna-tell-you-how-you-feel music. I don't know how to really make this movie better. You know, like, I do. I, how, okay, let's, let's get into it. How, how do you make this movie better, Jordan? <laughs> so, this really, to be a good movie, this wouldn't have been a movie about Keanu Reeves' character. I mean, first of all, this movie is gorgeous, and that's what it saves it. For me, that's what saved it, is that the cinematography and the props and the details are just gorgeous. And so that's what kept me involved. But really, they took this story about this 
this family that has this history that we get little bits and pieces of, but this Mexican family that lives on this vineyard and has this rich history and this girl who is a part of the family but has also gone her own way, you know, she's trying to get educated, she lives away from them and has gotten herself into trouble. And that's the story. And they tell it from the point of view of Keanu Reeves, who's this outsider who really isn't involved in their family until, you know, this one day that he happens to meet her and go there with her. And his life is a lot more boring than their lives. We can get into this a little bit more later, but in the end, this, like, white man who just walked right in saves the day from these Mexican people, and he saves all the women, and it's just like... Yeah, not going to disagree with you. That's how it would be a better movie. Yeah, not have the Keanu character in it, which is hard to say. It's very hard to say (laughs) that, but you're absolutely right. Like, if he wasn't in this movie, it would be incredible because you would be so completely immersed in that world that you'd have to find your own way, you know? And instead, Keanu's a guide. Well, I feel like the problem here, sort of, is that Keanu's the only recognizable actor in this movie. That we have Giancarlo Giannini... We have Anthony Quinn. I reckon he's the only guy I recognize. Who, who does he play? Don Pedro, the grandfather. Okay. Yeah, so I think that the father and the grandfather are recognizable, but I don't know that they're marketable. You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to think of, if you take Keanu out of this movie, is this movie going to make money? Or if you, like, have less of a focus on Keanu, is this going to make money? You have Deborah Messing, who we now know as a thing, but this is her first movie role. This is only, like, her second acting credit. I think she was on a couple episodes of NYPD Blue or something. We have El Rey, who we just talked about in another podcast. Freddy Rodriguez is the brother, and he's sort of recognizable now, but not then. I mean, I just feel like you need Keanu to be the lead here so this movie makes money. And so I agree that less Keanu would make this better, but I don't think that you can do that in this movie. Are you saying that a good movie with a good story couldn't have been successful? We're all agreeing that it would have been a better movie. I don't know that it could have made, because this movie I looked up had a budget of $20 million and made 50 I don't think it would have been anywhere close to that successful with just a cast of nobodies, or like relative nobodies, or at least without a movie star. This movie, it's produced by the Zucker brothers, who, who are more famous for making comedies with Leslie Nielsen, you know, like airplane movies, and I thought they were actually the ones directing this, which really threw me off, but it's directed by Alfonso Aru, I believe that's it, and I knew him best as El Guapo from Three Amigos. Knowing that maybe they were able to put the money together and put the cast together on their own somehow, and I don't know how Keanu came into the mix whatsoever, but I definitely agree it could have stood a chance without him, because it's still a good movie the way it is, and I think a lot of that is the story about the vineyard and life on the vineyard and all of that kind of stuff. Can we talk about what I think are the two parts of this movie that really have the most depth? And they are two parts that have to do with the vineyard and the traditions of these people. The first was when the frost happened and they all ran outside together and they all put on those wings and they flapped the wings like butterflies to move the heat to the grapes so that they didn't frost over. And then the second time was when all of the women were carried to the grapes by the men, by their husbands, and put down in the grapes and they danced around in the grapes to smush them. Those were just the two most real things that happened in this movie. And those parts were gorgeous. And they really carried the rest of the movie for me. Yeah, that imagery was beautiful, absolutely. And it's funny, uh, 
I agree. It's like the most real moment, and yet it looks like the most surreal stuff visually to me, especially that butterfly sequence with the fire and them sort of floating through the night and everything. Yeah, I liked that, and I liked when he was being shown the family root that was brought over, that everything was sort of spawned from. I thought that was a very interesting concept. It never occurred to me before either, and yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah, I loved that too. That grandpa, he only spoke in like, in sayings. (laughs) In, like, quotable lines. I started getting a vibe of uh, Trapped in Paradise because every time Keanu tried to leave the vineyard, he'd run into Don Pedro and he would make him stay or divert him or give him something to do to keep him around. Yeah, I feel like the more I think about this movie and as we talk about it, I think it's a movie that I would say that I like more than I dislike, but I also don't know that I really want to see it again. I'm still in the clouds on this one in terms of, is this the kind of movie that you think of like watching it over and over again, you just fall more and more in love with it or does it become more and more tired the more you think about it, the more you watch it? Again, I liked this movie, but obviously I had a problem with the perspective that it was told from. Like the women in it, it's like they don't even do anything. It's the same problem I have with a lot of the movies that we watch. But he's falling in love with this woman and we as the audience we hardly even learn anything about her you know we find out at the beginning that she's pregnant she was having an affair with one of her professors where she's at grad school and he's left her and they really never go into more depth about her life at all like why she left the vineyard what she's doing in grad school what she wants to do and it's really the same with the other women too you know the grandpa is this character who really keeps the movie going because he does keep Keanu at the vineyard he won't let him leave but the grandma doesn't really do anything and the mom doesn't really do anything except make their sex bed yeah I hear that and I'm not I'm not defending this character but like the dad is pretty one-dimensional also like I don't need more of him because he does kind of take up too much space as it is but every time he's on screen he's just angry and screaming at Keanu and all we know about him is that he's mad we don't even it's crazy because we don't even get the moment when she tells her father what's going on at the end we actually see it as Keanu from like across the way you know so yeah that's more frustrating for a second viewing I don't know if the replay value is quite as strong for me. Well, I think that's the thing, that everybody's so one-dimensional. Like, the grandpa loves Keanu from the jump because Keanu has delicious chocolates with him. Everybody immediately is able to decide whether or not they love this man, and nothing ever really changes until the very, very end, and that's only because they have, like, this catastrophe, and sort of Keanu is there to help, and it just... I don't feel there's like any depth to anybody. You were saying, Jordan, like, we sort of know what she did, but not why she did it, so we know who they are, but not why they are. But, like, for all of them, we know that Keanu is, like, this really nice guy, but we don't know anything about him, really, either, and he's the star. We know that he has this wife who wants him to do things, but, like, other than that, like, we don't really know anything about their relationship. We don't know anything about, like, what he wants in life other than not to sell chocolate. It's all, like, very surface, and the surface is very pretty, but there's just nothing below it. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and even with Keanu, he's just a soldier. Like, he gets PTSD. We find out that he was an orphan and that he was on the beach and he stormed some orphanage, or that's just some kind of weird dream that he's kind of having, a flashback of. But you're right, that orphan stuff, I thought it would come much more into play because he was falling in love with a girl who wasn't carrying his child, so therefore he would be adopting that kid. But, like, no, they don't even go anywhere 
near that. Talk of that never really comes up. I think while there isn't enough character development, the movie is kind of saved by all of the stuff with the vineyard for me and the look of it and the rest of it. Like you can almost say, yeah, they're very surface characters, but they're doing it all for the grape. You know what I'm saying? Or like we're seeing, like we not be, we may not be hearing about why they are the way they are, but we might be able to say they're doing it this way and they're doing it that way because they're just trying to yield the harvest and this and that's their life and that's their family and their livelihood as long as they could keep the harvest they could keep themselves together as a unit i'm just saying it's a maybe yeah i agree with what joey said that there's really no there's just no depth to any of it not only is there no depth but it really beats you over the head with a few things like i started a list while i was watching this movie called not subtle because there was just so much stuff that was like oh it just could have been done so much better in the very beginning, which almost made it feel sometimes like a little bit cartoony. Between the not being subtle and the music being so over the top, it was a little bit like watching a cartoon. Like, at the very beginning, when he gets off the ship and Deborah Messing isn't there to meet him, and, like, very quickly, everybody's gone, and he's literally standing in the rain, and we're looking at him from above, and the thunder just goes. It's so over the top. No, yeah, you're right. But but it almost didn't go far enough for it to be, like, fun over the top, you know? And then, like, he has this flashback where, like, he's seeing this orphanage over and over again. It's just a big building that literally says orphanage on the top of it. It's just so obvious. It's. I feel like there's the possibility here for them to have gone, not slapsticky, but more into the rom-com territory. Because you have these characters who could be, like, they're not really necessarily super colorful as it is. But, you know, if you play up those music cues like you were talking about, you just have to, like, pivot, like, 15 degrees. And, like, you can sort of be in that funny, amusing angle as opposed to just over-the-top, obvious what have you. But, like, you have the father and the grandfather and all these people, you know, the people who make wine, like, they're all stereotypically maybe, like, very colorful characters. And, you know, you could have, like, this crazy family and they're all just not. And I feel like all the ingredients are here for a movie that's silly and fun and playful, but it just, they just don't choose to go that way. It's like they want to respect the love story and wind up making it just sort of less interesting. Well, I was definitely expecting it to be much more of a comedy from from the jump off, you know, like it was it was heading in that direction for sure. And then seeing the Zucker brothers involvement, you know, it would make so much more sense if if they got much more silly with this. But I guess you can't really go that far when you have the subject matter of the the girl who's pregnant going home, just, you know, disgraced her family. It's like, I don't really think you should make light of that so much either. Maybe there were studio notes. Maybe there was just a difference of opinion between what story should be told. Because it feels like a tug of war at times. There's some characters who feel here just to be funny, like the grandfather, perhaps, like his obsession with the salt and the chocolate and stuff, and then other characters who are just straight up too serious, and events that happen toward the end that just throw everything out of whack, too, as far as the tone and everything. I still think it's worth one viewing, but the more we're talking about it, the less I'm thinking, like, it deserves a second look. Well, I just feel like you know how it's going to play out from the very beginning. It is, in a way, maybe, I don't know if I got this on the first viewing, but, like, watching it a second time, or at least watching the beginning the second time, and they really have the meet cute on the train and then on the bus, like, when she throws up on him, and then they're, like, on the train or on the bus together because she accidentally stole his ticket, and then, you know, he defends her right there. It's like, of course he's going to defend her, because, like, that's exactly who we, like, we don't even need to see that scene to know 
that's who he is. They've already conveyed that he is this guy who will sort of do as much as possible for complete strangers, which is the opposite of Deborah Messing. Like, it just feels like, they're like, do you get it? Like, he's a great guy. Do you get it? Yeah, that was how I was feeling about when I say that it's not subtle. Like, I felt like that over and over again. Um, I have a question for you guys. Go uh, ahead. Is this the first time that Keanu was cast as a romantic lead, carrying his own movie as a romantic lead? I believe so. Well, My Own Private Idaho, kind of, in a way. I mean, he's had romantic subplots, but they're mostly in action movies, like Point Break, he's got the romance thing, and Speed, he's sort of got the romance thing, but this is like the first actual love story that he is carrying. That's what I thought. So I think that in the context of this podcast, that's what's interesting about this movie. And I looked, and it looks to me like he doesn't star in another romantic movie, like just as the romantic lead. Yeah, he does a lot of action stuff where he has a girlfriend or whatever, until Sweet November, which was in 2001. I don't know what feeling Minnesota is, but by the DVD spine, it looks like it could be, possibly. But yeah, you're right. So when I started watching the movie last night, I wasn't into it because this is not the kind of movie that I really want to see. And then I realized like, oh, this is going to kind of become like a big part of his career down the road with like Sweet November and The Lake House and those kind of movies. And I was like, I need to really sort of pay more attention to like how he's carrying this. And I think he does a fine job. But I mean, considering that we did 80 cage movies and that my favorite genre of cage movie was rom-com, I think he's such a more energetic, enjoyable, believable, romantic lead than Keanu, at least in the movies, like, because in 94, right, was like, It Could Happen to You, and like that, I would watch that movie like 20 times before I watched this movie again. And I know it's a different kind of movie, and it's like, like it's a rom-com instead of just like a rom-drom, but there's something different about the performance, about everything about that, that makes it more what I'm looking for in this kind of movie. So last time I was on, we talked about, is he a good actor, and why he's such a fascinating actor, because in a lot of ways, he's not a good actor a lot of the times, but he still is this huge star that we all want to watch. And I think that's why he's able to do this, because you can put him in anything and you want to watch him. Despite the monotone delivery and the lack of depth in characters, I still wanted to watch him. And I wonder how they tried to market this at the time. Nobody ever tried to turn him into like a sex symbol. This isn't a sexy movie. He's so flat, kind of. But they could have turned him into that, and it seems like nobody ever chose to, or maybe he didn't want to, What's you know? weird, and we've talked about this on recent episodes, and Mike can sort of confirm this if this is true, unless, or maybe I'm misspeaking, but it seems in a lot of movies recently, over the last five years, so basically from like 89 or 90 to where we are now in 95, there's been kind of two mentalities about Keanu, that he's either cast in movies explicitly to get young female viewers to, like, look at him on screen, because he is, even though he's not taking roles that turn him into a sex symbol, it feels like he sort of is considered that. And then there's there's this other mentality where, like, people don't want to cast him for any number of reasons, but mostly because what he's become stereotypically, they don't want that in his movie. They don't think he can do this. And so it's weird that it's not actively happening on screen, but I feel passively in terms of how he's marketed, maybe, or how these movies are built around him or cast around him, that it feels like he is this sex symbol. It just isn't directly translated onto screen in the roles that he's taking. I think it's there in drips and drabs. Like, if you look at something like Much Ado About Nothing, he has that shirtless scene where he gives his big speech. Wasn't the rumor that 
it helped get the movie made that he would take his shirt off or something or we were saying I mean regardless like he surprises you in that movie by being good and you wouldn't expect him necessarily to be in that situation because personally I don't think he has a great track record in different time periods I think he's his best when he's playing a modern person just personally and I think that's part of the problem with his performance here is he still feels a little man at a time but all in all I like him as a romantic lead I think he's non-threatening you know like there's nothing really off-putting I'd say where you might get with some other tougher looking guys perhaps I think he's done a lot worse than this and I think he'll do this stuff a lot better when we get to it well what do you think are his best and worst genres is his best his best has got to be like action sci-fi right I think action if you don't think romance is his worst genre what do you think is worse I want to butt in because I think that's what's fun about him is he doesn't have a best or worst genre. He just has good and bad parts where like for whatever reason you make him Neo and you're like, oh my God, yeah. But then like you put him in some other sci-fi movie and you're like, oh, but I don't know. Like that's what's so fascinating about him. And I feel like I still can't even put my finger on why I like or don't like him. There are just some movies where he seems to fit so well and some where he just doesn't. Well, what I feel is really weird about that is that so far to date in Keanu's career, we've done 35 movies, and I feel like he has way more swings and misses than Cage did, and maybe it's just because, I I don't know, because I'm really also not familiar with, like, recent Keanu. It's weird that he's sort of this, like, beloved icon, and Cage is, like, this punchline, that I know Keanu is sort of, like, people mock him kind of for, like, his wooden delivery sometimes, but that's also why they love him. Like, you're right, Jordan, I think, like, he's just, like, a likable guy, and it's just, it's, there's really not, like, a rhyme or reason to why he'll work in movies or not work in others, and, like, sometimes he's, like, the best part of a bad movie, and sometimes, like, here, he's sort of not the best part of a movie that could be even better if things were slightly different. Yeah, yeah, I think the bottom line for me is just he's compelling. Like you like Jordan say, like will he work or won't he work? It's kind of hit or miss with Keanu and that's kind of interesting. That'll make me go to a new movie from that actor. You know what I'm saying? If I'm if I know he can do really good work but hasn't turned it in once in a while or recently, like then I'll still go expecting him to one day sort of knock my socks off. And I kind of feel like that's more of what we get with Keanu where it's like Ted, boom, you know, huge, and that's going to sustain him for a while, and then, you know, Neo, bam, like, forever, Neo, and, like, that's just going to give him good graces in people's minds, I feel, for more of his misses, and then when he hits with (laughs) stuff like John Wick, it's like, of course he can be great, he's Neo. Yeah, he's a different beast entirely than Cage, which... I really wasn't expecting. I sort of expected their telemetry to track a lot closer than it has been. I feel like Cage, as an actor, like, has this range where he truly is a different person in different movies that you watch him in, and Keanu really isn't. I mean, you guys have seen more Keanu movies than me at this point, so you can totally disagree with me, but it's like, I know what I'm going to get when I go see him, and I already know I like him, and I already feel kind of (laughs) safe with him. You know, I know what I'm getting, and I like it. I like him, and people like him. I mean, we've talked about that, about how we felt like for a while it was like a negative that he would kept getting cast basically as Ted in all these movies because people saw that he could do that so well and they're like, oh, let's get him to do that same thing in our movie. But I also feel like what's kind of interesting, we haven't really seen him as a villain yet, have we? 
No, well, just Don John, right? That was it, and much ado about nothing. Yeah, and he wasn't the he wasn't a he was more of like a cartoon dastardly villain as opposed to like a serious threat by any means. Which I think is why it's interesting in another movie that we haven't seen yet in the Neon Demon, where he kind of plays a villain, not like the villain, but he plays like just a bad rough guy. It's such like a twist or a turn from where he normally is because he's normally just like this vanilla but not in a bad way guy that is sort of safe to bring home and that you like watching him you know it's just you know what you're getting like jordan was saying where was the cage you had no idea going into a movie what he was gonna do all of a sudden he might be eddie from deadfall and it's just like oh i don't know i don't know what this is i don't know if it's a willingness to take other kinds of roles or if it's just what's given to him. But I feel like Keanu so far has only taken or been given these mostly positive good guy roles. And so I'm really waiting to see when he breaks out and like becomes a bad guy. If he ever, I'm not sure that he does. Or is that a choice that he makes? Well, that's not, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. Could you put another actor in some of these roles and not feel like you're with this safe, nice guy. You know, even if they still played them in a positive way, it wouldn't be Keanu. So, like, maybe that's just not a thing that he's capable of. Yeah, and I definitely don't think people are looking at him going, I want him as the villain or he can play the villain. It just doesn't seem, image-wise, I don't see it yet for him. I wish it started a lot sooner, but, like, could you imagine if he was Dracula and, like, he was behind the makeup seducing Winona Ryder or whatever? Maybe that could have... But will Street Kings do for Keanu what training they did for Denzel? I mean, time will tell on that one. And that's kind that's of also, like, 2006. Like, that's 23 years into his career. That's so far into it. It's happening too late, I feel, if at all. You know, like, I almost feel like Neo should have turned bad at the end of the second Matrix no, or something. No, do not. Do not. <laughs> I haven't seen those we'll movies yet, but they're perfect. We'll get there. Because, I mean, I feel like in all these movies that we have coming up, or the ones that we've done, there are opportunities for colorful characters, like in a couple movies from now, The Devil's Advocate, like the Al Pacino role. If he was a little bit older, maybe, like that would be such a great role for him. I mean, he works well, I think, as the lawyer, but he's in these movies with these really over-the-top people, and I don't know if it's just us coming off watching 80 Cage movies and hoping for something a little bit more dynamic. Yeah, it's tough because his image comes through more than his character sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like, what you assume Keanu is like is what you're projecting into the character, or at least I am. Whereas with Cage, he was able to just kind of erase my perception of him at times, and I could just kind of get lost in what he's doing. So I don't know if Keanu will quite get there. I hope so, and I'm looking forward to that day. It's funny, though, like, there are some actors who are the same way where I'll go see a movie and I'll be like oh it's Leonardo DiCaprio because you know I've just seen them in so many things and they're so famous that it's hard for them to disappear into a role anymore and they take roles that are kind of similar over different movies and it bothers me after a while to the point where I'll be like no I don't want to see that because like I've already seen that guy do that thing and I don't care anymore and with Keanu I never really feel that way I still kind of want to see him I feel like it's the same thing. I mean, we talk about this a lot, I think, on all his movies, the Shia LaBeouf podcast, which now, as this episode comes out, we are two weeks deep into, so there are about 15 episodes out for you to listen to there. There are actors who you know what you're getting with them, and you know sort of who they are, and that's comfortable. Like, 
Denzel is the same in every movie, but you love that Denzel is the same in every movie because, like, you love Denzel. I feel like Leo... I don't know that Leo is a great example. I think it's a good example. I feel like Keanu is the same in every movie, though, too. It doesn't bother me that he's the same in every movie. And I think part of what I'm talking about, too, is, like, when somebody's celebrity grows so big that you see them everywhere, and so it's not as fun, kind of, to see them in the movie. And that's my problem with a lot of actors. And maybe because, I mean, he's a gigantic celebrity, but no one ever really... Hukiana? talks about him. He, yeah, he never really like goes well, out that's, and does that's anything. <laughs> I think yeah. he sort of wanted to. He's sort of become not like a recluse. He's not like Cage who's in 10 movies a year just to sort of make money. I mean, he's been in maybe three or four movies that came out this year, which is kind of a lot, in smaller roles possibly. But I feel like Keanu, just because of the kind of person he is, where he has a net worth that's way, way higher than the other people we've done podcasts about, he donates all of his money from certain films to charity and just he's just out of limelight you know i have these google alerts set up for cage and keanu and every day i find stuff that people post about him and more often than not that stuff about keanu is not about his movies but like him building motorcycles or him doing this or him doing that he's more of a person that we sort of know kind of as opposed to just like a guy who's on screen and we don't really know anything behind the camera yeah, he doesn't have, like, a Twitter account, right? He's not like Tom Hanks where he's like, I found your glove, you know, I'll drop it off here and I'll mail it back to you or anything. Like, he's just a different, you know, he's just a more private, different person. And it reflects through your work, you know what I'm saying? Like, it can come through, like, your interests on screen and stuff. So all those factors involved are just really interesting to see, you know, where and what they actually do decide to do. You know, like Neon Demon, for instance, Nicholas Wynne and Refn, that's amazing that they're working together. When you get to those moments, you're like, okay, I'm glad he made the choices he did because he's like he's doing stuff that I'm also interested in too. And it's interesting to see that kind of sync up with an actor. I think what's also different about Keanu versus Cage is that I'm realizing now I am like wildly unfamiliar with Keanu's career. Like I felt like I knew him and maybe that's what Jordan's been saying that you sort of know him. But like I've seen so very few of his films and more coming up that I've seen as opposed to what we've been through already I guess I'm sort of hoping that there's more, but it also, it sort of fills in and it kind of completes the idea that I have for him of who he was and where he came from and the types of roles that he took. It's harder because he needs to break through bigger barriers, but less often. Like he gets typecast as Ted and then he has to break that until he's, you know, the action star. And then he's basically Neo for 20 years until he, maybe he starts to become a villain or something more along that line. I mean, John Wick definitely totes a moral line. The anti-hero. The anti-hero, exactly. Uh, And whereas with Cage, I just feel like he was way more sporadic. Like you couldn't typecast Cage. Like you, you try to, and he would just like, break out of that immediately with something, you know, whether he chose from Raising Arizona to Vampire's Kiss and, you know, then to Moonstruck. It's just like he's all over the map all the time. So I think that could come into effect with Keanu from time to time. But, you know, personally, I do enjoy him. I find him compelling and interesting. And whatever he's doing, I'm glad he's I'm glad that the rest of the mainstream accepts him for that. What I think is kind of interesting is that of the four actors that we're doing on this podcast network, I feel like Cage and Shia are very similar in a lot of ways. And I feel like Keanu and Zeph are sort of similar in a lot of ways. That on Zack Attack, we keep waiting for Zeph to kind of break out, that he's sort of been the same kind of guy, that he's this handsome, sort of stupid guy 
who just in like all different kinds of jobs that he seems, you know, like Keanu was cast as Ted and was Ted for 10 years. Then you know, like you were saying, you know, is Neil for 10 years. Zeph is just sort of the same guy in all these movies. And it's weird that maybe those are the two, I mean, are there categories of actors or does it really fall into one or the other that you're either typecast in a lot of things, at least for successful actors, that you're typecast into one type of role or part or demeanor and you're stuck with that or you kind of break free of that and you sort of are able to make all the different choices. Like, is there a third category or those sort of, it's it's either one or the other? I think there's barely a second category out of the two that you just said. Can you think of other actors who, as much as Cage, are really, truly all over the place and able to carry it all? Shia. Is that it? (laughs) We're actually kind of seeing it, though, with Shia, which is like the amazing thing. Right. Um, Well, that's what made Cage so special is that he's so all over the place. And I feel like we sort of felt like we knew Shia heading into all his movies. And then we're kind of consistently blown away by what we're finding in these like movies that either we have never heard of or like didn't really know much about. I don't know if it's also like the... There's like an earnestness, too, to both of them, that not only are they all over the place, but they're fully committed to it and they're willing to go to whatever reach. As much as Shia doesn't like the term, and like from that Vanity Fair article, like the method actor, like if you have people who are truly method or character actors or the people who are really kind of chameleons, that's the kind of person in that second group, but usually those people aren't really the lead. You know, they're sort of third or fourth build, and, like, they're always, like, in a different kind of role. Like, I feel like there are people that have sort of run across that could kind of maybe come close. And maybe these are off base, but, like, sort of like a John Goodman or a John Leguizamo, uh, John Turturro, all these different Johns. I feel like there's a possibility there that, like, they all could sort of be like that. None of them really necessarily have the star power to carry a film. Tilda Swinton is one, though. We think. I mean, probably. Well, we think, yeah. I just wanted to throw a woman in there because you named all men. Well, I just named Johns. I didn't even name men. I just named guys <laughs> named John. I think that's true, that more often the character actors who really could fall into so many different parts aren't given the opportunity to carry a whole movie. And I mean, that's why we wanted to do Keanu as opposed to Kurt Russell, which I think maybe won the fan vote of who we should do next, because we felt like Kurt Russell was the same in everything. And that's maybe what's disappointing to me is that we're finding that Keanu is very similar in a lot of things, even though we thought he was going to be more different. And that's what I want, because I mean, if we're watching 80 movies in a row over either six months for Cage or like a year and a half for Keanu, I want them to be different. I want them to be varied. I want. I don't want to see the same movie, like, you know, Keanu's 86, where he was like in eight high school movies that are all the same, and I'm going to keep complaining about until the end of time. Like, I don't want to see that for two months. I want to see different kinds of things. I want to see varied, not performances, but like roles and types of movies there's a lot of actors that I would love to watch all their movies. You know, I would love to watch all Tom Cruise's movies and talk about them. But I feel like he's very similar in a lot of movies, and there's not a lot to really dive into there. Like, I feel like that's sort of like a, almost like a one-off. Like, we could talk about Cruise for a few hours and see how he kind of changes. But I feel like if we did all his 45 movies or whatever, it's a lot of like, okay, here's the five or six Mission Impossible movies or whatever. And then here's all these other movies that are sort of like Mission Impossible. I just want more varied anything, something... And that's what we had for Cage. I think we maybe set the bar too high with Cage first. Absolutely. Cage will always be the first, our true, our first child. You know? uh, There's no Sophie's I, Choice with us. Unfortunately, sorry. But I do feel like Keanu has the potential to break out of stuff like that. Like I also think a lot about 
Sam Rockwell, you know, like there's a yeah. guy. He's he's kind of doing the same thing all the time, but it's fucking amazing. He's another guy where one day, like, he is just going to shock the world and win an Oscar. I mean, will Keanu win an Oscar? Who knows? Stranger things have happened. But I still am holding on there because there is a, a lot, like you said, that I'm not familiar with that is still coming up. And maybe somewhere in there, we've been so surprised with Shia and, and those movies, the stuff that we didn't know that we discovered. So maybe one of these unknown, newly discovered things will will be one of those roles and everyone will have missed it and, and will have got to have seen it. So I'm still holding out that hope, though. I'm not I'm not quite I'm a little more calm about it all. I don't I, I'm not I'm not trying to write off Keanu and I'm not like saying we should abandon the project because there is a lot of movies there are a lot of movies that are coming up that I really legitimately know nothing about and I feel like there's got to be a, at least a couple more like I love you to death where I'm gonna be like I love this movie I don't know anything about this movie going in I love this movie also on a side note I just realized who we should do next or eventually and I'm sorry Jordan is another man but I think a really interesting person to do at some point, would be Joaquin Phoenix. I think he falls into, possibly, maybe, the Cage Shia category. He seems so inconsistent with his output, though. Like, it seems like sometimes he just disappears for, like, ten years. But I think that's part of what might work, because going back to what you said earlier, Jordan, like, we get bombarded with some of these stars to the point where it's just like, ugh, go away for a while. Like, take a couple years off. And Joaquin does. Like, I feel like Clooney's the same way. It's impossible because he's like, you know, whatever, considered the sexiest man in the world for all time. Still, theatrically, he doesn't overload you with him at the movie theater, right? Like, you come out with a movie every once in a while, and you're like, oh, Clooney's back. Great. I'll go see Money Monster, because I haven't seen Clooney in anything for a while. So I think maybe Joaquin might have the similar strategy. Plus, if we do Joaquin, we can do Parenthood again and retouch on Keanu, and we could do 8mm again and touch on Cage. I mean... Oh, wow. Double crossover. It's really the ideal person to do, I think. He's an interesting one, too, because he started as a kid. You're really looking at his whole life. Space camp. When we were picking this out, when we were picking out Keanu, and we had like that long list of like 25 or 30 people, like we were talking about people like Drew Barrymore, who went from kid to adult, and you sort of see this growth, kind of. I mean, we're sort of seeing that a little bit. We haven't really gotten there yet with Shia, but Shia starts as a child actor on Even Stevens, and now is like a leading man in powerful indie art house movies. And so he's not 50 years old like Cage or Keanu, but you know, he's 30, and he, he we, we sort of see him go from 10 to 30 years old. Yeah, you just have to wait 20 more years to complete the story. <laughs> I hope he's around, still making movies and not, like, doing art installations. I think I'm out of things. We sort of, I think we all collectively ran out of things to talk about this movie, you know, 40 minutes ago. So I love it when Jordan comes on, though, because, like, she takes us away from the film and into actual discussion. So well, fun. I somehow end up with movies that there's not a ton. With Parenthood, that's like there wasn't really very much to talk about. So we have to think of what other lenses we can look through to make this interesting. Because <laughs> there are. There are always new lenses to look through. You'll be back in 10 years for Thumbsucker. Thumbsucker. Thumbsucker, which is going to come out in April. So Jordan will be back in about five months. So bye for a while. Well, thank you, Jordan, for joining us on this podcast. Any other last-minute thoughts? Are we good? Um, yeah, I guess, like, the ultimate version of this movie would be without Keanu and entirely in Mexican <laughs> with subtitles. I would fucking love 
to see that movie more than anything right now. It'd be a you know, gorgeous movie. Yeah, because I did like this despite all of its flaws. Like I do think it deserves one viewing at least. So check it out if you're into wine and you want to see how <laughs> it's made. Watch this movie. Just don't cut your thumb because the blood makes the wine taste bad. For all things Keanu Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can find everything that we've done, see what's coming next, other shows on the network. Like Shia, we're two weeks into all his movies, so go listen to that. That's fun. See if you think he's more like Cage or Keanu. That's a nice poll that we could do, and I don't know how we would do the poll, but tell us, rate us at allhismovies at cageclub.me. Let us know who Shia's more like. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Jordan Pollan Clark, and we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. Mm-hmm.